Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. Hey, I'm Allison Langer. And I'm Andrea Askowitz. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today's show is about transformation. How does the narrator change? How does the narrator grow? On today's show, you'll hear a story by listener Autumn Hudson. You know what? Let's just go straight to the story because this story perfectly shows what we mean by a narrator's transformation. We'll be back after the break. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is Autumn Hudson. Autumn's an elite body artist. Here's Autumn reading her story. The air was cold. I couldn't tell the difference between the air I breathed and the cigarette smoke I exhaled. An early morning breeze kicked up the dead leaves from the sidewalk. The twirling colors reminded me of my love of tattoos. As early as the fifth grade, I wanted to be an artist. More specifically, a tattoo artist. If there was one thing I got in trouble for the most in school, it was not paying attention and drawing too much. In high school, I took too many art classes to be able to graduate, so I dropped out and got my GED. My art teachers helped me put together a portfolio of my work, and I received a scholarship to an art school in Philadelphia. I also dropped out of that school. Being stubborn and knowing I wanted to become a tattoo artist, I felt I had nothing else to learn. I was going to find an apprenticeship at a tattoo shop. I wanted to create artwork on human bodies. Not boring tribal armbands and twisted barbed wire dragons. I wanted to make art with real emotions. Unfortunately, at 20 years old, fashion, drugs, and a general lack of self-esteem made that goal grow more and more into an unattainable fantasy. The leaves danced to a halt and fell into the gutter. I glanced at my phone. Where is he? Liam was always late and I needed a fix. I hadn't gotten high in 26 hours. I hadn't slept, and there were bruises on my legs from where I had previously been beating them with my fists, screaming at the ceiling, wishing I could cut off my limbs to stop them from hurting. I was sweaty. Snot dangled from my nose to the cigarette between my lips. The only thing I could focus on was figuring out how I could get more heroin or oxy or at this point, any drug to make this deep ache go away. Just when I started dreaming about holding up a pharmacy, pretty much the only thing I thought about in depth, Liam finally pulled up. He was driving an older maroon Ford Explorer. The exterior had several dents. One headlight dangled there, unprotected from the elements. I stood and opened the door. A few Taco Bell bags fell out, and I placed them back on the vehicle's floor and got in. Liam looked as sick as I felt. There were beads of sweat all over his pasty skin. He smelled of old wet socks, 
His hands were swollen and covered with open sores. Underneath unkept dark brown hair, his blue eyes glanced into mine. He looked sad and concerned. Liam shook his head and put the car in gear and bounced off the curb heading south. We were on the interstate, driving 85 miles per hour, when Liam suddenly jerked the car to the side of the road. He leapt out of the vehicle and violently heaved. My stomach turned over. The saliva was beginning to fill every corner of my mouth, and I felt my skin get cold and wet. I opened the door just in time to vomit onto the pavement. There wasn't much there, just a bit of stomach acid and a few bits of Ritz cracker. I hadn't even noticed Liam return to the driver's seat. We're on a tight schedule, he said, and began driving before I even closed the door. A few hours later, we pulled into a Walmart parking lot behind a red Honda Civic. Liam ordered me to stay put. I closed my eyes, trying to calm my stomach. I was 15 when I started experimenting with anything that got my heart racing. Cocaine, prescription painkillers, opium, acid, ecstasy, mushrooms, anything that could take me away from reality. At 16, I met a beautiful girl named Anya, who showed me how glamorous heroin could be. I wanted to be like Anya. She'd just returned from a modeling gig in London and dressed me up like a doll in all of her designer clothes. She told me stories of celebrities and parties. She said, if you take heroin before a party, you can let anyone famous fuck you. Heroin makes everything numb. You won't even cry. Anya and I procured a prescription, 20 pills of 15 milligram Oxycontin. We injected all of them in under 48 hours. After that, we desperately needed more. She told me not to worry, and we bought a small balloon of heroin from a very eccentric overweight man living in a trailer. He gave us a great deal, as long as we promised to come back and have spaghetti dinner with him. I must have looked nervous, because the overweight man asked me if he could shoot me up. I looked at Anya, confused. She gave me a look that I interpreted as, do what he says or we won't get high. He added a half a syringe of water and the heroin to a little soup spoon balancing on his stovetop, cooked it up with a funny little smile on his face dropped a small rolled up piece of cotton in the spoon and drew it all back into the fresh needle he got just for me. He chose a vein on my left arm, just above my wrist, and pushed the plunger down. He smiled, and I could hear his breath quicken. It seemed as if he was getting some sort of sexual pleasure out of shooting up young girls. I felt perfect bliss, the point where nothing matters anymore and no one can bring you down. At that moment, I was beautiful like Anya. The car door opened, jarring me back to reality. Liam sat next to me with what seemed like a smile. He pulled out several lumps wrapped in different colored balloons. He said, don't worry, beautiful. We'll get well soon enough. Liam unwrapped a blue balloon and told me to look for a bottle cap. I rummaged through the trash on the floor of his car and found an old shoe tin top. I wiped it out with a crumpled fast food napkin. Will this work? My hands trembled with excitement. Liam nodded. I retrieved a working lighter and a cigarette butt from the ashtray. I pulled the cotton out of the end of the dart and rolled it between my fingers to make a filter. 
I dropped it into the shallow tin, picked up a water bottle from the back seat, and handed it to Liam while he finished opening a second balloon filled with white powder. Some quality Coke, he said. He put, put a bit of powder in the tin and then pulled out a good-sized chunk of sticky dark brown heroin from the blue balloon and dropped it in with the cocaine. He was careful to pour the smallest drop of water in the tin and began delicately cooking it until it bubbled and the liquid was darkish brown. He grabbed a syringe out of his coat pocket and pulled the liquid up. He tied a piece of cloth around his bicep and pushed the needle into an open sore on the back of his thumb. He sighed, and his eyes rolled back into his head in relief. Once Liam felt better, he handed me the supplies. I was still shaky and sick, so I asked him to do it for me. I was afraid I would drop everything. He cooked it up for me the same way. I took the syringe from his hand, thinking the liquid was a lot darker than I usually make it. I tied the shoestring around my arm and pulled it tight with my teeth. I squeezed my hand several times, watching as a few veins in my arm began to rise. I picked my favorite, right in the ditch of my elbow, already a small, bloody scab indicating where to feed the needle into my flesh. I pushed the plunger down and let go of the shoestring. The warm, familiar rush spread through my body. It felt like a hot shower running over my organs and muscles. My head was alight. But then the rush kept going. My stomach clenched. My vision started to change. And everything seemed so dark. Something felt wrong. I managed to get a few words out. I, I think I took too much. Liam looked at me, confused for a moment, and asked very calmly, Would you like me to drop you off in front of a hospital, or do you want me to leave you in the alley? I didn't even have to think about it. I would be better off dead. I said, just leave me in the alley. But I didn't die. I woke up in a cheap motel room by myself, with absolutely no idea how I had gotten there, or how much time had passed. I ran to the bathroom. I vomited. I cried. I could barely see. I have never experienced such a painful headache. I was still high, but how could I be high and in so much pain at the same time? Heroin is supposed to destroy all pain. This had never happened before. In that moment, with my face pressed to the toilet seat, I was either going to die or I was going to quit using and live. I hated everything about my life. I had no morals or values. I had no control. But I still wanted to be a tattoo artist. I chose to live. That choice was the most challenging thing I have ever done. I met with a doctor and got methadone. I did okay for the first few days. Then, after a rough night trying to cut back on my dosage, I sat in the bathtub crying. I chewed up the whole bottle of methadone pills and slit my wrists. I was found by my roommate and woke up in the hospital, bandaged and with a nurse on watch. Twice more, I went through this process of sobriety, overdose attempt, sobriety. The last time, no one would give me a prescription. I had to go cold turkey. No sleeping, just shitting, shaking, and puking. 
I sat in the shower letting water run over me. I knew it was my last chance. I wasn't adding to the world if I couldn't stay clean. I wanted to create art. Tattoo art was frowned upon by every adult I had ever talked to, but it's what I wanted to do. Even if only to prove my teachers and parents that a high school dropout could make a living creating art. I began using a cheap tattoo machine I bought off of eBay and tattooed anyone who would let me. It wasn't the best way to learn, and my tattoos were terrible. My lines were shaky and my saturation spotty. My ability to tattoo was not there yet, but my design showed promise. Being able to draw does not mean you can tattoo, but if you can't draw, forget it. Luckily, my training in fine arts gave me a fighting chance. A few months in, I was offered a job at a new shop. I worked day and night trading my drug addiction for work. I was tattooing standard flash, simple infinity symbols and scripts, making enough money to survive, and then practicing the work I really wanted to do for free on anyone who would let me. Some nights, I slept at the tattoo shop. I was determined to learn everything I could about tattoo arts and pushed myself to be better. I woke up and made more art, sketching larger designs, planning sleeves, practicing new ideas and methods on my own legs. I didn't want to stop. I was afraid of what I would do if I stopped. Now, I'm 31 years old. It's been 11 years since that cold fall morning when the beat-up Ford Explorer came to fix me. Liam died from an overdose after getting out of prison back in 2010. Anya sends me Instagram messages now and then, sometimes asking for money and sometimes to tell me she's sober. She looks so hollow, so thin, with dark, sunken eyes. I don't believe she's sober. Recently, I carried my bicycle up the short stairs of this tattoo shop where I work. I pressed the four-digit code into the keypad attached to the door and walked in. I love being the first person to get into the studio in the mornings. I like to take a moment and appreciate everything I have. It doesn't seem real. I can't believe I work here. I can't believe I get to draw for a living. The walls of the shop are white with beautiful hardwood floors and elegant gold chandeliers hanging in every room. Every piece of furniture is white leather with gold filigree. I walk upstairs and sit on my small white leather swivel chair and pull out my iPad. I begin to create my next tattoo design. The client is allowing me full creative freedom to make a sleeve for them. So I begin to pour all of my emotions, all of myself into that tattoo design. I'm incredibly honored that my clients wear a piece of my soul on their body. I wouldn't trade where I am today for all of the heroin in the world. Today, at last, it feels great to be alive. What amazing writing. I think what amazing story. I learned so much about addiction that I didn't realize. I also thought you're always just supposed to feel great when you're on it and hear the concept of the fact that she's not um, feeling so good, but yet still trying to get a fix. There's, you know, still trying to find that fix that will make them feel as good as the first fix. But I can't even talk to that because I really just don't know much about addiction okay. at all. If I drink, I vomit. And so it's not a good thing for me. 
But the thing I want to say about the story is that I know when this came in, it was really hard for her to write. This is the first piece she's ever written. She's not a writer. She really just had a story to tell and wanted to get it out. I think we should say that we did let her change the name of Liam. That is not his real name. But we let her because she really didn't want to tell somebody else's story, even though he's now passed, his family, all that. I think she just really didn't. That wasn't her intention. So she just wanted to tell a story. And she did not want to glorify it. She's like, I hope this does not glorify heroin or oxy or any of that. I I do not want to glorify it. She wanted, you know, to let us know that this was a really hard story for her to write, a really bad period of her life. And she's moved on from it. And it's, she's taken, and I think we see that in the story, she's taken her experience and really become somebody she's proud of. Well, there's two things that I want to talk about based on what you just said. The first thing is that um, what this episode is about, which is about a journey and arriving at a new place, which is what this story shows. But before that, I didn't really know that she wasn't a writer. But what I do know is that she's an artist because she's this amazing out of control. Like we have got to post pictures of her tattoos because they're like tattoos I've never seen in my entire life. Like they real, they are so vivid. They're so detailed. And then when I was listening to the story right now, that's what I heard. I heard the details and she's an artist, a visual artist, and she's an artist on the page. And I just want to go through some of the details that struck me as so beautiful. The Taco Bell bags, that came out of the truck. Like that is such a great detail because then we get, we totally see what Liam is like. The bits of rich crackers that she vomited, like just gross. That detail is so specific and I can feel it because of that. Details about the fat man who was shooting her up. She took us through the steps of like heating up the, um, the drugs a few times in a way that I was really watching the movie. Of, of Autumn getting shot up. Her favorite vein, the scab in her elbow, like, blah! Do you remember when you said to me, what's with the leaves dancing to a hall? Like, get, let's get rid of that. And I was like, no, I really want to keep it. And there was a reason why. And it's because it gives us a chance to hear her voice, what she thinks, what goes on in her brain. Why you rat me out? Well, I want to rat you out because I want to say that sometimes an editor will not like something for whatever reason. And another editor may like it. And so it ends up ultimately being the choice of the narrator, the writer, to decide if that's important. And that's a huge thing because sometimes our people take the edits and they turn it around and give us a whole new thing or give us what we want to hear and then tell us, you know, that's not what they meant. But it's really always feedback is to help you not to change your story if you don't want it changed. So that I just liked. I mean, we never, I don't think we ever even approached her with this because I just was like, no, it has to stay. Yeah, (laughs) which happens often, right? And most of the time you're right that the things do need to leave. They're distracting. But I really thought with this, and she she says something else another time. Wait, most of the time I might not be right. I mean, you're right too. It basically, so what you're just talking about is like the battle between two editors. Yeah. The swirling leaves at the beginning of the story. I don't, I love them now. Because I I sort of see those leaves and that imagery as her. Yeah. Like that's the way she sees the world in vivid swirling colors. 
Yeah. But at the very beginning, when I first read the piece, I didn't know that yet. And so I was distracted. But you're probably right. I'm going to just end that conversation because you said I was right. So I'm not even going to go on and on. <laughs> um, but I I mean, that moment in the that trans transition moment. So we're getting like she's really having a rough time. Right. And we often ask people like, well, let's see the before if we're going to see the after. So she she just wrote about like becoming this great artist, but we didn't know her past. The stakes would be different, I think, too. And we wouldn't appreciate the story as much. Um, sometimes those any those feel good stories without the real vulnerability don't draw us in. But this one drew me in so much because it's a world I really don't know that much about. She took me into her world so well. I feel like, well, I wanted everything good for this narrator. I wasn't judging Wait, you're her. saying kind of two things. Are you saying that you, she took us into her world, but she also gave us her backstory. Right. And she took us into the backstory world too. Yeah. I actually charted that. I charted how she went back. She starts waiting for Liam. She's like right. standing in the cold waiting for Liam. And then she takes us all the way back to what she was like in high school. Yeah. And even before that. Yeah. Like she showed us from the very beginning through backstory that she is, was, has always been committed to art. So committed to art that she couldn't even stay focused in high school and dropped out. And then she dropped out of art school. So she was kind of destructive, yeah. but obviously an artist. Yeah. And then she goes back to the present or the present in the story. That's when the Taco Bell bags came out. And then she goes back again in time to being 15 years old and um, starting experimenting with anything that could like make her heart race or make her like blackout, I guess. She didn't say blackout, but escape from reality. That's where um, she brought in Anya. And I actually, I have a question about that. I mean, I thought it was one of those times where like, new information wasn't exactly essential, but it was not, God, what is it? It's like distracting from the story. Right. It wasn't distracting from the story, but we didn't necessarily need Anya. I loved Anya because she wanted to be like Anya. She wanted the confidence that Anya had. And Anya was saying with these drugs, you're going to be confident just like me and beautiful. And and when you're, you know, when you're confident, you feel beautiful. So I felt like, wow, we see this because I'm always like, why do people get involved in drugs? I understand trying this and trying that, but some people really take to it more than others. And this made me understand a little bit better. Now, wait, you just talked me into why Anya's a really important. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did. She's an important character in the story. What's so funny? Because I feel like I can always talk you in one way or the other. And I love that about our relationship. But here's why I think Anya is important to the story, because she wanted to be like Anya. And uh, and Anya represents drugs in the story and beauty. And at the end of the story, she doesn't even trust that Anya's sober and Anya's hollowed out. And without drugs, Autumn is beautiful now. Right. So Liam died. So Liam also represents like what drugs does, but in a different way, because she really did want to be glamorous like Autumn. Yeah. I'm cool with Autumn being in the story. But before we were talking about how she went back and forth in time, that she did so well. I I think the story is more than just drugs because I related to it so much. Like sometimes you just want a quick fix of something, but you know that you shouldn't be doing it. You know, like if you're going to write, it's easier to procrastinate 
procrastinate, procrastinate. But if you really want to be good at something, you have to stick with it through the good and the bad. And the people who give up get stuck in a pattern, whether it be drugs or not working or or doing the wrong job or being with the wrong person or whatever, can never, there's no possibility of benefit at the end of the day. But this girl, Autumn, said, I want to live. She had enough sense to know that what was going on was not working and she was going to work her ass off to get to the other side. And I just think it's a beautiful story of that long journey about really putting in the work and getting to the other side. First and last thing I wanted to say about her story is that it really is a journey. Like she starts off desperate for cocaine. I mean, not, no, it was heroin. It was anything, actually. She listed anything. She would take anything. So she was desperate, desperate. And at the very end, it's 11 years since, so 11 years sober. Like she really does show us change. Not every story has that much of a arc, a journey, a, a transition. But in this story, she really did. I loved it. I love her. Like, I just want to be her friend. I just want to hang out with her. I want to like hang out in the tattoo store. I don't mean to say that Autumn isn't the coolest person in the world because she is, but I think you say that about every single person whose story. <laughs> really? But, yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah. Like that's the thing about we we love these people who tell their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I want to be friends with all the storytellers. Oh, so good. So good. All right. I'm sure our listeners, you guys out there listening, have stories that you want to tell. We are no longer open to submissions until May. So get writing. By May, you should have a wonderful essay to send us. Let us hear your voice. We want to hear from you. And then we'll want to be friends with you. Always. And if in the meantime, you want to take our writing classes, they will help you get to where you're going. A lot of people who write in end up jumping in on our classes and say it's really helping, not just that we have good things to say, but that the other people in our classes have great feedback. And they also are people that you can have ask to help you. I just listened to the Tim Ferriss interview with Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld goes to a stand-up comedy class and he tells the class, uh, what are you guys doing here? You don't need to be here. You need to just do the work. You need to get on stage. And I thought it was a really funny thing to say to a group of stand-up people who were taking a class. But I want to say that I don't think it's true about writing classes. It is true that you have to do the work, but writing classes give you a space to do it. Like it's, we actually write in class. So you get that first draft done in class. And then you have a community of other people who are going through the same thing, trying to do this work. So that's why get into our writing classes. And you'll be like Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) That was like a long roundabout way to say first draft meets every Tuesday at noon Eastern. Go to writingclassradio.com and jump on in. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Autumn, for sharing your story. For more Autumn Hudson, follow her on Instagram at autumnhudson.tattoos or click on the link in our show notes. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Matt Kundal, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz. Social media content is by Mia Pennycamp. Theme music is by The Amadians. Additional music by Scott Gratton. 
There's more writing class at our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love the show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button and check out the writing classes and publishing insight we are giving our Patreon supporters. For $10 a month, you can get an all access pass to me and we will discuss where you should publish or could publish or try to publish your essays. All you have to do is email me, but first you have to join Patreon for $10. At $25 a month, you get to come to the first draft writing class that we mentioned above. Classes are on Tuesdays from 12 to 1 Eastern time via Zoom. We write to a prompt and share what we wrote. So for $25, you get first draft writing class and the all access pass to me. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.